Good morning. Our first scripture reading is from Isaiah 60, 1 through 6, page 1,155 in your pew Bibles. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Lift up your eyes and look about you. All assemble and come to you, your sons from afar, and your daughters are carried on the hip. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. The wealth on the seas will be brought to you. To you the riches of the nations will come. Herds of camels will cover your land, young camels amid Dan and Ephah. And all from Sheba will come, bearing gold and incense, and proclaiming the praise of the Lord. Our second scripture reading is from Matthew 2, 1 through 12, page 1497 in your pew Bibles. The Magi visit the Messiah. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judah, during the time of the king Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has come? And has been born king of Jews. We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judah, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The word of the Lord. Would you join me in prayer this morning? God, open our hearts to receive all that you would give us today. Open our ears to hear you. Open our eyes to see you at work around us. God, may we leave this place ready and willing to do your will. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. You know, I thought for today, I was going to call Jason and Doug and Tom and say, hey, could you dress up as those three wise guys like you did at the pageant? You did, you did such, a, such a great job. Today, we celebrate Epiphany. Now, Epiphany, if we're going to get liturgically technical, was on Friday. But churches can celebrate it on the Sunday closest to Epiphany. And Epiphany being the culmination of the 12 days of Christmas. And we think of this story of the Magi who come from the east 
um, to worship Jesus. And, and the earliest church interpreters have understood this story in this way. That now, when Christ has come, the message is for all the people in the whole world. And so you have these, um, these Gentile, non-Yahweh-worshipping people who come to find Jesus to worship him. The scripture that, we, that Sam read for us from Isaiah and from Matthew, Isaiah with this prophetic foretelling of what would happen in the Messiah uh, and it coming to realization here in Matthew. These rulers who come from the east and travel to Bethlehem to worship Jesus. Now, magi in the ancient world were sort of something that um, maybe today we would understand as a mix between a, an astronomer and an astrologer. Um, They studied the heavens, they were able to chart out the stars and the planets, they were able to use them to navigate. They also understood that you could read into the stars and the planets certain things that would um, either predict or tell about events on the earth. And so, as they were studying this, they saw this anomaly, this star that settles over Bethlehem, and so they decide to go and to find what this is all about. They understood that sort of these planetary disruptions, something out of the ordinary, signaled something happening on earth that was important. The word epiphany, do you know what that word means? It means a revealing, a revelation, a, a manifestation, but, but not just um, any old manifestation or, or understanding. It's not, oh, finally I decided what I'm going to make for dinner tonight. That's, that's not really an epiphany. An, an epiphany is something of incredible magnitude and importance. And so we understand that these, these magi, these um, sort of quasi-scientists, rulers from the East, have this epiphany. The star portends something significant. Indeed, something world-changing. And so they have to go find out for themselves what this exactly is all about. I want to look at this scripture briefly this morning and pull from it lessons for our own spiritual lives. You know, biblical interpreters from the earliest times, from the time of the church fathers, have looked at this story and have understood it, yes, to, to sort of be about actual events, right? Right? That yes, there were these magi, these um, religious scientists from the East who actually traveled to worship Jesus. Um, but there's also in this story something much deeper. There are, there's a spiritual level that we can mine for riches to apply to our own lives. Here's the first thing that I think this story tells us about our own lives. Pay attention. Pay attention. Those magi were looking. Their eyes were open. (coughs) They were seeing things that were happening. They paid attention. How easy it is for us, friends, in our own spiritual lives, in our own relationship with God, to just not pay attention. To get so distracted by the things that we have to do day in and day out that we might miss what God is doing right in front of us. The first lesson of the spiritual life that this scripture teaches us is the need to be attentive, to pay attention. The second thing is that once we pay attention and when we notice something, 
when we see what God is doing, we act on it. We don't sit idly by. We get on the move. We go to where we are being called. We do what Jesus, what God commands us to do. We see that in the Magi. They saw the star. They understood that it signaled something important. And instead of just sitting where they were, they embarked on a journey to find out for themselves. So the spiritual life entails paying attention and then acting upon what it is that we see as we're paying attention. Well, the Magi, they travel and they encounter Herod, don't they? Here's the third lesson of the spiritual life. If you're going to get serious and pay attention and follow what God is telling you to do, you're going to encounter trouble. You're going to face resistance. You're going to come up against people who want to stop you, who want to derail you, who want to interrupt the thing that God has called you to do. Oh, you look in the Bible and we see rulers. Think of Herod, think of Pharaoh and Moses. Pharaoh's threatened, isn't he? Orders all the, the firstborn, the Hebrew boys under two to be killed. Saul, so threatened by David that he pursues him for years. Herod, threatened by this prospect of a ruler, doesn't actually want to worship him. He wants to find out where he is so he can kill him. If you're going to be serious about following God, you're going to run into trouble. And that's not an if, or sorry, that's not, that's not something that may happen, rather. Trust me, it will happen. That is a principle of the Christian life that you can count on just as much as Newton's laws. It will happen. If you get serious about God, you're going to run into trouble. Here's the fourth thing that happens. They pay attention, number one. They follow, number two. They're going to run into trouble. That's the third principle. But number four is they make their way to Christ and they give him their very best. They come to that manger. They find Jesus. And what do they do? They worship him and they offer gifts. And these are not inconsequential gifts. Gold then and now was a precious commodity. Myrrh and frankincense were not things that were in uh, plentiful supply. These things were costly. And yet the Magi come, and when they encounter Jesus, they worship him, and they give him their very best. Friends, that's what disciples do. When they come to Jesus, when they encounter him, when they meet him, they give him their very best. That's what we're called to do as disciples of Jesus. To not just go through the motions. To not just give God the leftovers of our lives. Which, friends, can be such a temptation, can it? In a world of scarcity. In a world of fear. In a world of what ifs. How easy it can be when we talked about stewardship. To hoard for ourselves and to give God the crumbs. But the spiritual life flips that around. We give God our very best. And in doing so, there is more than enough left over for any need that we have. He supplies every need. So a disciple pays attention, follows, runs into trouble, 
gives Christ their very best when they meet him. And here's the fifth principle that this story tells us about the Christian life. Is that when we encounter Jesus, we can never go home the way we came. We can never return to the way things were. The Magi, after coming to Jesus, uh, the very last verse that Sam read for us, Matthew 2, verse 12, it says, they returned home by another way. Friends, a transformative encounter with Jesus upends everything. You can't go back to the way things were. We see that principle all through Scripture of people who have an encounter with Jesus, and it changes everything. They can't go back the way they came. They can't go home by the same road. Everything is changed. Friends, on this Sunday, when we think about these mysterious figures from the East who come to worship Jesus, they teach us so much about our own spiritual lives and the rhythms of what it means to follow Jesus. Pay attention, friends. Ask the Holy Spirit to work in you and through you so you're not distracted by the cares of this world to such a degree that you miss what God is doing right in front of you. The big things, be it anomalies, stars in heaven, or the small things. Big or small, God wants to work through it to impact your life and those around you. Pay attention. Have the courage, the the God-enabled courage and boldness to follow through with the thing that you have discovered. Be prepared for trouble on the way. You will encounter it. Just as in Jesus' day, in our day, there is no shortage of Herods who may say that they want to know about this Jesus, but they have every ill intention. We underestimate to our own peril the reality of evil in our world. Paul says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers in this present darkness. To deny that, to deny that there is a real spiritual battle going on that we can't see, is to tread upon dangerous ground. It's real, friends. And instead of helping that, which so often we can do, you know, the devil will leave you alone if you're doing nothing. What does he care? When you actually get serious and you pay attention and you start to follow, you're going to run into trouble. You'll meet a Herod along the way, or two, or ten, or fifty. Persevere all the way to Jesus. When you encounter Jesus, give Him your very best. Worship Him without abandon. Offer Him your life. You'll be transformed. Things will never, ever be the same. You won't be able to go back the way you came. Amen.